This week I was reading a chapter and one of the illustrations in it had me think about a penny. And so I want to ask you some questions. You can tell the person next to you the answers if you're like one of those competitive people that you have to make sure that you got the right answer or someone knows that you got the answer right, okay? So we're going to start off really simple. In U.S. currency, how much is a penny worth? All right, so tell someone that. How much is a penny worth? It's not a trick question. All right, how much is a penny worth? All right, hopefully by now you've gotten the answer is one cent. Okay, so that's how much a penny is worth. Maybe you're one for one. If not, good luck with the rest of it. Okay, after that, let's talk about whose face do you see on the penny? All right, so whose face is on the penny? I'm trying to figure this out. Maybe you know. All right, the answer is Abraham Lincoln. All right, so maybe you're two for two. Abraham's Lincoln face has been on the penny since 1909. And in fact, he was the first actual person put on a coin, like not just a representation of, you know, a group of people. It was the first person. Let's do it this way. Let's imagine that I am Abraham Lincoln. All right. <laughs> and so you are looking at the penny. Which way is Abraham Lincoln facing? Is he facing to your left? Or is he facing to your right? Which way is he facing? All right, the answer is to the right, to your right. This is Abraham Lincoln. Hey, do I look presidential? Would that look good? Okay. On, right behind Abraham Lincoln on the front of the coin, what word do you see? They're not in God we trust, that's on the top. There's a word right behind Abraham Lincoln. What word? is right behind his shoulders. There's a word. Okay. The answer is liberty. All right. So the word liberty is there. Okay. So now we're going to flip our imaginary coin and now it lands on tails. All right. So if you're looking at the back of the penny, what is the biggest thing, the biggest emblem that you're looking at? What is it? Okay. Figure it out. All right, so now here's my question. How many of you are just like, um, it's a building? I don't know what, like anyone saying that? Okay, if that's you, because that would have been me, that building is the Lincoln Memorial. But let me tell you a little bit about the back. At the beginning, when it was first with Abraham Lincoln on the front, there are ears of wheat on it. That's the original back. But then about 50 years, it changed to where there was the Lincoln Memorial. But actually, that's not what's printed on the back right now. Back in 2009, when it was the 100 year, they had four different designs that all dealt with Lincoln and his log cabin in this capital that he was at. So for a year, they printed four different designs. But then since 2010, that's like 13 years ago, okay? They have been printing it with a shield on the back, all right? And so if you didn't know that, well, you were like me. And I'm like, man, that's been 13 years. I've noticed the shield, but I didn't know if that was just a special thing. That shield has 13 stripes, and it even has the motto about out of many, one, all right? So now why in the world do I tell you all these things about the penny? Because you and I, we are pretty familiar with pennies. I mean, we maybe have them in the bottom of our pocket. Even if we don't use coins and, and cash as much as we used to, we still know pennies. You know, we maybe have them in the bottom of our junk drawer. You'll see them on the ground. And so it's like, oh, that's a penny. But sometimes we become so familiar with something that we don't actually stop and take a look at it. We miss the details of it. And so sometimes when we're talking about the resurrection, we can almost go like, yeah, we talk about this every Easter. Like we get it. We can become so familiarized with it that we miss the importance. 
And so we have been talking in these last three weeks about this idea of looking again at the Savior. And again, two weeks ago, looking at how the Messiah, uh, the Jews needed to look at the Messiah again because they felt like he was going to be a military hero and they were wrong. And last week we looked again almost in this, is this really the type of Messiah you are? You have all this power and yet you are choosing to serve. You're washing feet. On Friday night at our Good Friday service, we spent time just focusing on Jesus as a sacrifice. And even as, as Nick was up here talking, there are things that I'm like, man, I'm saying that on Saturday and Sunday. I'm like, so either God really wants you to hear something or just like great minds think alike, and that's good too. Um, but just t- looked at this idea of Jesus' sacrifice. But today, as we're looking again at Jesus, I want to not just be so familiarized with the story. I want to step back to where when I see who Jesus is, I just say, wow. Like I am in complete awe of who you are and what that means for me. And so to start out, I want to look at Jesus when he was on this earth. And when you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you see all sorts of encounters that he has with people. And so we could look at the disciples. I mean, here is this group that is made up of some fishermen and has a tax collector, has a zealot who is ready to overthrow the Roman government by force, and just these guys with different backgrounds following after Jesus. And can you imagine what it would have been like to be one of them? to sit around the fire and just listening to conversations, to being, you know, right up front, listening to all the messages, to seeing the healings with your own eyes. And like, even just the fact of Jesus coming up, this rabbi coming up to you and saying, I choose you. I want you to come and follow me. If you talk about life changing, can you imagine what it would have been like to be one of those disciples? Or other encounters, we could go to a man named Nicodemus, who's a Pharisee. He had all this religious teaching. He was teaching others, but he came to Jesus at night. Maybe that's due to his schedule. Maybe it's because he didn't want other people to see. We don't know for sure, but he is questioning. And so he wants to understand. He wants to know what's true. So he has this conversation with Jesus. Does it change anything? Well, we see Nicodemus two more times in scripture. At one point, he's talking with all the religious leaders when they're out to get Jesus. And at one point he says, do you really think you ought to do that without at least giving him a trial? And then at the very end, after Jesus has died on the cross, there are two people that take his body down, Joseph of Arimathea and a man named Nicodemus. Is there any kind of impact that Jesus had on his life? I would argue that yes, there was. We're talking about people who are kind of questioning and looking for truth. Here's a man named Zacchaeus later on in Jesus' ministry that's a little, you know, vertically challenged and such. And so he's also a tax collector. And so people are not wanting to give him the benefit of the doubt or allowing him to watch things. So he climbs up into this tree. And as Jesus comes by, he stops and says, I am going to your house today. Man, when it's there, like everything changes. He says, I have cheated so many people and I want to make it right. And you see this life change that happens because of this encounter with Jesus. We could talk about some women. There's a woman that we talk about just as the woman at the well that would not have been invited to a whole lot of social gatherings. She'd had five husbands. The guy that she's living with right now is not her husband. And so because of that, she is going to the well, man, in the hot part of the day when no one else is there. Well, no one that is except Jesus. And they end up having a conversation. And through this conversation, she understands You are the Messiah that we have been waiting for. And so she goes back to her town and she tells everyone, hey, you need to come and listen to this man who knows everything about me and he is the Messiah. And so people come out and at the end of listening to Jesus, they don't just believe because of her words, but because of their encounter with Jesus. 
There's a woman that simply says, a woman who had lived a sinful life. That's how she's referred to. And so she comes to Jesus while he is at dinner with a Pharisee. And man, like her past and just who she is, she comes to him just weeping. She is at the feet of Jesus and her tears are just wetting his feet. So then she takes her hair to dry him off. She begins kissing the feet of Jesus and even pulls out perfume to pour it upon his feet. At the end of this encounter, Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Can you imagine the guilt that she just comes in with feeling, but being able to leave free? What an encounter. Or we could talk about a woman that we just call the woman who's caught in adultery. But again, we understand now that there was some kind of trap going on because the guy is not brought out in the midst of all this. But all these religious people who, are, again, are trying to trap Jesus, they bring her out. And can you imagine being her, that you are in the middle of this crowd, this mob that is yelling at you? Can you imagine the guilt that you're feeling because there's no covering up anything, maybe even physically covering up anything? And you have no, you know, no leg to stand on saying, well, I should be allowed to live because of this. Like, you've got none of that. And here you are with everyone yelling, and Jesus simply looks at the crowd and he says, okay, you that have never sinned, you be the first one to throw a rock. And one by one, everyone drops their stone and walks away, and Jesus kneels down and says, neither do I condemn you. Now go and leave your life of sin. You want to talk about an encounter that changes your life? We could talk about a Roman official whose son is sick, and so much so that this Roman official comes to Jesus saying, can you do anything? And Jesus simply speaks the word and heals his son. There's another story that's similar, but it's different, but this centurion, okay, this centurion has a servant who is sick, and so he comes to speak with Jesus. And Jesus says, yes, I will come with you. But this centurion, he says, no, 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 I understand authority, and I understand you have authority, so all you have to do is speak it, and I know that my servant will be healed. Jesus is amazed at this guy's faith. And so he does. He simply speaks, and the servant is healed. Man, can you imagine just another notch of what it is like in your life being changed because of this encounter with Jesus? We could talk about a man who comes to Jesus when he's speaking in the synagogue at Galilee. We could talk about these two men who um, are out of their minds and no one wants to be close to them and Jesus comes to speak to them. We could talk about a woman who comes because her daughter is possessed. We could talk about a man who comes to Jesus because his son is possessed. All four of these instances, people are filled with demonic forces and so Jesus comes and frees them. Like imagine that, the thing that is most evil that you can picture, and you've seen it either in your kids' lives or your own lives, and now experiencing freedom, man, Jesus impacted their lives. We could talk about Peter, who's been following Jesus, but his mother-in-law is sick, and so Jesus comes and heals her. We could talk about a man with leprosy, who when everyone else is staying away from and not wanting anything to do with this person, comes up to Jesus, and Jesus reaches out and physically touches him and says, you are healed. We could talk about 10 lepers who come up to Jesus, and he heals them. They go off to the priest to show, but one of them, in the middle of it, understands how much life has changed, and he turns around to come back and simply says, thank you, thank you, thank you. 
We could talk about a man who can't walk and his friends want him to be healed. So they bring him to Jesus, except the crowd is so big that there is no getting in. And so Jesus is teaching in a house. So they go up on the roof. They, they, they make a hole in the ceiling and lower their friend down. And in that moment, Jesus says two things. One, your sins are forgiven and get up and walk. There's another man who's been laying for 38 years sitting next to a pool because they think that this water has some kind of healing power. And Jesus comes in and says, you don't need the water be healed. We talk about a woman who for 12 years has been bleeding and has spent all of her money going to doctor after doctor after doctor, and they cannot figure out how do they fix this. And all she simply does is come up to Jesus, touches his cloak, and she's healed. Another woman for 18 years has been hunched over. Her back will not straighten out. And after her encounter with Jesus, she's completely healed. A man with a withered hand that Jesus restores. There's at least five instances of Jesus coming up with someone who is blind and giving them back their sight. And then there's just these sections that say, and he healed people that day. Can you imagine? We just talked about all these physical things, but man, the encounter with Jesus that changes their life. We don't even have to look at all healings. Let's imagine that you're part of a crowd of, say, 4,000 or 5,000 men plus women and children. And so maybe you've heard him teach. Maybe you've heard these uh, or you've watched some different miracles. And so you're sitting in groups and you're hungry. And so you hear, though, that there's not a whole lot of food except you see these fish and bread just continue to be multiplied. So by the end, like you feel like you have just eaten at a buffet, like maybe more than you needed to. And you are stuffed. And you are like, who is this guy? And for some of them, the only impact it made was, man, I want another meal from this guy. But for others... And they stored that away. And who exactly is this Messiah? You want to talk about life change? Let's talk about a widow <clears throat> who is now going on this funeral procession because now her only son is dead. So what is she going to do? Like, How is she going to take care of herself? And Jesus comes up in the middle of that and essentially gives her her life back by raising her son. Like life from death. We could look at a man named Jairus who has come up to Jesus and saying, my daughter, she is so sick. Will you do something? And he says, yes, I will come. But on their way to her house, he receives a message that she's dead. And Jesus simply says, have faith. And they continue on and Jesus goes into her room and brings her back to life. Well, there's a man that has two sisters named Mary and Martha who again is sick and almost is, is about to the point of death. And so they send word, Jesus you need to come back because your friend Lazarus is not doing well. And Jesus says, yes, I'll be there. And yet he doesn't leave immediately. By the time he gets back, Lazarus has passed away. And Jesus in his prayer says, God, this is for your glory that people may see you. And he gives Lazarus his life again. Someone close to you or even yourself getting life back, you don't think that makes an impact? And encounters with Jesus. Even Jesus continued all the way up to the very end of his life. I mean, he is hanging on a cross, and there's a thief next to him that early on was making fun of Jesus as well, was mocking him, but something has happened. Maybe he's just watched how Jesus has handled everything, but finally on the cross at one point when the other robber, the other thief is like making fun of Jesus, he says, you really need to cut that out because we're here because we deserve this. Man, this man, he's innocent, says, Jesus, will you remember me in your kingdom? And Jesus says, today I promise you, you will be with me in paradise. Or you could put yourselves in the 
shoes of a Roman centurion, that whether he was one that nailed Jesus to the cross or he's just there guarding him, after so many hours, Jesus breathes his final breath, the earthquake happens, the centurion at the foot of the cross looks up and simply says, surely this man was a son of God. And there are so many individuals that we read about, or you could even step back and just look at the Jewish people as a whole, which we talked about a couple weeks ago, but they were so down and out and oppressed by so many other people in this moment that when Jesus comes on the scene, his teachings, his healings, they now have hope. I'd love to stand up here and tell you that every single person who encountered Jesus, like their life was completely changed, but I can't. Because some people had hearts that were so hardened for certain reasons that they didn't allow him in. And so we read about the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the teachers of the law and the chief priests, and not all of them, but so many of them wanted the power that they had, the authority that they had. They were so stuck on legalistic rules that they had set up that they missed it, and they got so angry with Jesus. They were like, what can we do to have him killed? And eventually they were successful. We could look at a man that we call the rich young ruler who comes up to Jesus and wants to follow, and Jesus says, okay, you want to follow after me? Then what you need to do is sell all that you have, and then come and follow me. And the text tells us that he walked away sad because he had great wealth. We could even look at a man named Pilate that Todd referenced just a while ago, and here he is. He's interviewing Jesus, trying to figure things out, and he's like, he hasn't done anything worthy of death. He is innocent, but here's this big crowd yelling at him, and so his solution, I wash my hands. I am innocent of this man's blood. Encounters with Jesus. Who exactly was it that came to see him? Well, those that maybe appear kind of invisible or the inadequate, the imperfect, the broken, the depressed, the desperate, like those at the end of their ropes, the poor and the rich. We have the orphans and the abandoned, those who felt cheated or betrayed or were accused. We have the powerful. We have the extreme. We have those who were questioning, and even the religious followers or religious leaders, they came up to Jesus. And when they did, what did they find? Well, Jesus, he didn't respond by giving them shame, didn't respond by placing guilt upon them. He showed them no hatred whatsoever. Instead, he loved them. He loved them. He gave them grace and he gave them truth. And after their encounter, they left going, like, I feel worthy. I feel like I'm important. I feel like I was seen. Now, again, Jesus didn't make anyone follow him. I mean, even in the text with the rich young ruler, it actually says Jesus loved him. But then he let him walk away. You see, Jesus is heartbreaking as he is crying out for the people who I'm right in front of you, but you're missing it. And as we saw last week, he's washing Judas's feet right before the betrayal. Or he's washing Peter's feet right before he's about to be denied three times. Or he's washing the other disciples' feet as they're about to abandon him when everything goes down here in a few hours. Like this Savior, this Messiah, again and again amazes people and astonishes people. It's why if we can actually take a step back and not just be so familiarized with the story and with his events and what he's done, like we stand here and just say, wow, we too can be amazed. But I can also tell you within a matter of 24 hours, this Messiah 
that so many people had put their trust in, that they had put their faith in, that they had put their hope in, is going to be dead. And I want you just to sit in that just for a moment. That's what we did at the Good Friday service. And again, we read the message of the gospel. We do it in hindsight so we know what happens. And it's almost like the death of Jesus is a little blip. And again, not that it's not important, but we know what happens. And so we read it in that kind of, we know the rest of the story. Here's what I want. I want to read just a little section from Max Lucado's book called No Wonder They Call Him Savior. And in this chapter, almost every sentence is simply one word. So listen to this. Skull, Calvary, crosses, execution, death, noon, tears, observers, wine, bruised, swollen, crossbeam, sign, ground, nails, pound, 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 pierced contorted, thirst, terrible, grace, writhing, raised, mounted, hung, suspended, spasms, heaving, sarcasm, sponge, tears, taunts, forgiveness, dice, gambling, darkness, absurdity, death, life, pain, peace, condemn, promise him, us. Father, robbers, paradise, wailing, weeping, stunned, mother, compassion, darkness, my God, afraid, scapegoat, wilderness, vinegar, father, silence, sigh, Death, relief, earthquake, cemetery, tombs, bodies, mystery, curtain, spear, blood, water, spices, linen, tomb, fear, waiting, despair, stone, Mary, running, maybe, Peter, John, belief, enlightenment, truth, mankind, alive, alive, alive. Those three words at the end, those three words, that is what we get to celebrate, not just on this holiday, but for all of our lives. And that's why sometimes we talk about the resurrections all year long, because it's not just one thing that we celebrate. But man, the life of Jesus changes everything. And sometimes when we talk about our life, though, we don't focus on that. We start focusing on the struggles. Maybe there's struggles within your marriage or with your kids or peer pressure. Or maybe it's jobs or finances or an addiction. Maybe it's health or even mental health. Maybe it's loneliness. Maybe it's failures. And sometimes when we talk about life, we look at those things. But then we figure, you know what? I can fix those on my own if I just work hard enough by my own strength. But the thing is, you and I, we really are limited by what we can do. And when Jesus came, his intention, yes, was to look at some of those things. But first was to fix the main problem. This problem of sin that separates us from a perfect father. 
And when Jesus died on that cross, because of his death, we no longer have to feel separated. Instead, in that moment, when we understand who we are and we understand who he is, we can approach him and maybe we feel inadequate. Maybe we feel broken. Maybe we feel cheated or abandoned. Maybe we're questioning. Maybe we're humble. Maybe we're desperate and at the end of our rope. And when we go to him, he meets us right where we're at. And he extends grace and love. And he takes care of the big problem. He wipes us clean. We are new. We are whole. That is what he does. And then he begins to help those other areas that sometimes we focus on even more because that is who he is as well. You see, by conquering the grave, he showed us that nothing is too difficult for him. Like what type of savior is he? He is a risen savior where the resurrection changes everything for us. That our past, it changes. I do not have to be defined by that. The present, it changes because I don't have to live this by myself. The future, it changes because I have hope and confidence and I know what is going to happen and who will hold me through all of it. Oh, the resurrection. Which brings me to the one verse that we're looking at today. And so if you have your Bibles, I want you to open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you have a device, open it up there so you can highlight that. I want to, to mark this, all right? As we're talking about the resurrection, Paul is talking about this section of the resurrection of Jesus, the resurrection of us and what that will look like and how these two combine. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14, it's the one verse that I really want to walk away with today. My family's been memorizing it this week, so we'll see if I've got it. But it simply says this, that if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Maybe your translation says, you know what, if Jesus hasn't been raised from the dead, then what we're saying is useless and so is your faith. You see, as we hear this verse, it says, really, if there is no resurrection, nothing else matters. But here's what I want you to know. Our God, unlike any other God that is worshipped throughout this world, is alive. Because see, if he wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have mattered that he was simply a good teacher. It wouldn't have even mattered that he was a miracle worker, that he connected to people. But that's not the end of the story. There was the resurrection. And so to everyone who had had an encounter with him, to everyone who was impacted now, Man, total life comes together. Like, think about it. If you would have been one of those original people that was impacted by him, but he's dead, can you imagine the doubts? Is he really who he said he was? Is he really the son of God? Does God really love us in this? Are we waiting for something more? But when he rises from the dead, there is now no more doubt. And so for us, we can look back and we can have confidence. We can have faith that is not shaky. It's not some fairy tale story. We know who he is and therefore we know who we are. And so we can live in his grace, that we can be saved by his grace, his forgiveness, but then we continue to live in it. Not that I have to be this better Christian so he loves me. No, I get to live in this state of grace because that's who he is. And sometimes when we talk about the word empty, like it's not a fun word. Like maybe some of you are kind of hungry. You have an empty stomach right now and you're ready to eat something later. Maybe you've been driving along the road and man, your gas tank's empty. That's not so much fun in the moment. Maybe your bank account's empty. Yep, that's not fun. But when we use the word empty in reference to Jesus and a tomb, man, it changes everything. Jesus himself says, I am the resurrection and the life. 
And whoever believes in me, even though he physically dies, will not die. That's why we come and celebrate. That's why we get to sing songs about a living hope. That's why when we read this scripture, okay, because of the resurrection, our preaching is not in vain and our faith is not useless. And yes, Jesus resurrected. And so because of that, we can be confident that we too will be resurrected one day. Let's not let this message just become something that we're familiar with, but let it change us. Let it, let it drive the way we live every single day because we are grateful of his sacrifice and the, the fact that we have a conquering Savior, that there is no sting in death. The worst that this world can throw at us, Jesus has already overcome. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, I am so sorry even for myself and the times that I take you for granted. And so, Father, we as a group just apologize for that. And God, we don't want that. So thanks even for this moment in time that we can stop and focus on and the things that you have done. And yet it doesn't stop there. The fact that you are continually active now and your spirit lives inside of us if we choose to follow you. We don't have to do this by ourselves and anything is overcomable. Father, I just pray that your light would shine through us. God, continue to work on our minds and our hearts to let this message sink in. God, help us to have courage to speak of the encounters that we've had with you, to be able to share that with other people, that they might come to know you as well. God, more than anything, we just celebrate. We celebrate that you are alive and are the risen Savior. It is through your powerful name that we pray. Amen. So even what we just talked about today really is just the gospel message and listening to that. If you've had an encounter with Jesus today and you're like, I have not followed him. Understand, just like the disciples, he is calling out. He's saying, I want you to follow me. And when you do, it will change your life forever. That's you and you're having want to have conversations. You're like, I am ready. Then during this time as we're going to be singing, I invite you over to the prayer room. We would love to have those conversations with you. And for the rest of us, as we live this week, don't put Jesus on the back burner, but may his death and then resurrection be that which gives you power to live this week. And so let's continually living for him. Let's stand and celebrate through songs.